If you have your Bibles, let's uh, hold them up. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in those Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking in verses 1 through 16 this morning. In our continuing our theme, Masterpiece in Progress, we want to talk about what a healthy church looks like. Um, are we a healthy church? Well, we're going to find out. All right. Uh, it's, no, it's no mystery that I love football. Um, I, I just love all the facets of it, every every piece of it. I love I love to watch it. I love to watch teams uh, execute very well. Uh, was pleased to see Jinx bounce back from two losses. Uh, now I'm not sure Enid is a formidable foe for anybody, but it's sure a good good game to win. And they won big, 62 to 10, I think it was. At, uh, it was 50, 55, 56 to nothing at halftime. Uh, it was it was amazing. But they were clicking on all cylinders. They were playing well. They they just did they did good. And it's and it's fun to watch that. It's fun to watch each piece of the component of a of a team work because you got to have a good quarterback, got to have a good running back, got to have wide receivers, but you got to have that. The front line, those guys up front, block it. You gotta have those guys. If you don't have them, you're not gonna go very far. And when they're all working together, like a machine, it works well. And that's really in any, any part of your life, right? It's in the job that you have. You, there's pieces that, at your job that others have to do, you don't do it all. But doing it all together, you have success. And that's an important thing for us to remember is that getting, getting the person in the right position with the right job, with the right goal, victory can be attained. And it's true in the body of Christ. We need to understand that each member in the church in the right position, doing the right job for the right reason, we can reach a community for Christ. And that's what we're all about. We've always been about that. Our main theme here at River Oaks has always been to seek and to save the lost. That's kind of our overriding theme that we have. And uh, whatever it takes to do that, we need to be about that business. And Paul talks about in our passages we're going to look at. We're going to break them down as we go through we're not going to read them all at one time. We're just going to break them down as we go through. Paul's going to talk about a healthy church and what it looks like. And when we put God's team together, what shape it can take. What will be the assignment? What position would you play? Paul gives us four characteristics of a healthy church that it's made up of healthy Christians. Because the healthy church is full of healthy Christians. So we want to start in verse uh, one, verses 1 through 6. 
in dealing with the first aspect of characteristic of a healthy church is that they were characterized by unity. God desires our unity, our oneness. Unity is not conformity, uh, uniformity. Uniformity is when we look alike and we act alike, and that's really boring. God's not boring. Just take a look around. <laughs> look in the mirror. God's very creative. Unity is when we walk together and work together with common convictions, common commitments. And those two are essential. Beginning at verse 1 through, through 3, we don't talk about what unity looks like. There must be a oneness of humility. In other words, our behavior should be one of humility. Let's take a look at verses 1 through 3. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, therefore. Therefore is a connecting word. It connects chapters 4 through 6, which deal with the duty of a, of a believer, with chapters 1 through 3, which are doctrinal in nature. And that order makes a difference. You need to have doctrine before you have duty. Because doctrine will dictate what you do. Your convictions will dictate what you do. What you believe. And Paul is a prisoner. Not of Rome, but of the Lord. And he uses the word beseech. Parakalo. In the Greek, it means to exhort, to encourage, to urgently, personally, urgently uh, uh, encourage someone. He uses the key idea of walking. It's a continual, it's a present tense uh, ending word in the Greek. It's continually walking, not slowing down, not waiting, but continually in your walk. And then the word worthy is used in our, in our verses here. It means to be of equal weight, with balance. We need to live lives with balance. And great blessings come. Those are described in chapters 1 through 3. But if we're walking that worthy walk, God has a blessing waiting for you. Then he mentions the idea of calling. John MacArthur said that the sovereign saying, calling of God is a call to salvation and to service. Verse 2 notes four aspects of our unified behavior. Those four aspects are lowliness or humility, true self-evaluation, true self-awareness, using Christ as the standard to measure, not others. Too often we use others to measure our, our, uh, ourselves. We need to let Christ be the standard that we raise to measure ourselves. Gentleness is the second one. A God-controlled man 
conviction under control, a spirit of submission. Moses was that way. Jesus was that way. Strength under control. Meekness is not weakness. But it's being strong, but having control of that strength. Then he mentions long-suffering. Patience with people. No retaliation or revenge motives within your heart. This is the most evident sign of uh, taking yourself out of the picture. is being long-suffering. Being patient. And then the fourth one is forbearing. There's room in your love for those who hurt or offend you. Now, that's a tough one. Because when people have hurt us, we don't want to, we don't want to love them. <laughs> we don't want to be around them. We don't want to be near them. Out of sight, out of mind. And then the next thing I want you to understand is when he uses the word endure, endeavor, endeavoring, excuse me, endeavoring. And that's also a present tense word, meaning working, giving diligence to, being zealous about something. Unity is kept, not created. Unity is kept, not created. How do we do that? By the Spirit who is, who is the bond, the one who binds or keeps us together in peace. How does a husband and wife stay together for many, many years? It's through endeavoring. It's through loving each other no matter what. Through the thick, through the thin. The good, the bad. The, got it? Right? That's how we do it. How do you have friendships that last that long? Same thing. It's a give and take. You're going to gain things. You're going to give things. And we have to do it that way. The next thing I want you to see is that they were. there must be a oneness of theology. What you believe. Let's pick it up at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. Just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Theology matters. I used to think, I don't even want to deal with theology. But if you don't deal with theology and have it as the basis for why you do what you do, why are you doing it? I mean, really. What you believe matters. Do you believe what the Bible says or not? Do you believe what Jesus said or not? That's where it starts. It's where it starts and you have to be there. And you can be united around that Word of God. Now I may see it different, you may see it different, but we both agree that it's God's Word. There's many things that we agree on. Most churches that I've ever dealt with, most Christians, believers I've ever dealt with, 
they will believe what I believe about Jesus. Jesus was God's son, born of a virgin, lived life here, died, buried, third day rose again. Those are all universal beliefs within people who call themselves Christians. And so we can find that in differing churches because they believe that. And where do they get that? From the Word of God. The Word of God is the standard measure from which we bring unity to us. Also in verses 4 through 6, he gives us seven facets of, of our unity. Now, I have you, you just look through there and you'll find them. In verse 4, it's the Spirit's verse. In verse 5, it's the sin verse. In verse 6, it's the Father's verse. It talks about the, the, the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that we must be one. Everybody must be one. One body, he says. No barriers. One Spirit. Energizing the body of Christ. One hope. To be like Him, with Him. What's our ultimate goal? It's to go to heaven, right? That should be our driving force. Is I get through this to get to heaven. I work through all these things in life. This journey I'm on to get to heaven. He says, one Lord. There aren't two. You can't get to heaven except through Christ. That's what he says, Acts 4.12. No other name given among men by which you must be saved. Christ is the only way to get there. Jesus said Himself, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. So you can, you can dice it, slice it however you want to, but the bottom line is, if you don't have Christ, you're not going. You can't buy it. You can't hope it. You can't wish it. You can't work it. You can't serve it. You've got to surrender to the life of your life to Christ. One Lord. Let me give you a couple other verses. Uh, Acts 2.36. I don't know if I, if I gave you these in your outline or not, but you might want to write these references down and read them later. Acts 2.36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Romans 10:12 For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all abounding in riches for all who call upon his name. Romans 14:7 through 9 For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself for if we live we live for God Lord if we die we die for the Lord therefore whether we live or die we are the Lord's for to this end Christ died and lived again and he might that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. We're also encouraged, Paul tells us, to have one faith. We should experience uh, faith as one, as, as our personal trust in the Lord, in that one Lord. One faith, not multiple faiths, not I believe in this, that, and the other. It's in, it's in the Lord, of the Lord alone. And then one baptism. And I think he's talking about our water baptism right here. Because at baptism is with the point where you, contract, you, you contact the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's the very 
image of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When you're in the water, you're died spiritually. You're under the water, you're buried. And when you come up, you've risen to walk in a new life. Isn't that what it says in the Bible? And so we walk that new life. Is it a perfect life? I wish. <laughs> Do I rise to walk to never sin again? I wish. Unfortunately, I've still got human nature running through me, don't I? And because of the human nature, I'm going to make mistakes. And the great news is, 1 John 1, 9 helps me with that after the fact. If I'll confess my sin to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I love the fact that God has all my bases covered. Don't you? Then He says, one God and Father. There's no multiple gods. There's only one. You can't serve our God and Allah. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's Christ alone. That's our song they're saying today. In Christ alone, I take my stand. No other rock I can stand on but Christ. And we live in a time when people are looking for multiple Ways to get to God. Well, there's only one way. And they're looking for multiple gods to do whatever they need to get, get done in their life. Belief is important. Beliefs are critical to our witness and to our unity. In the Marine Corps Book of Strategy, it says, Doctrine provides the basis for harmonious actions and mutual understanding. This is why we do what we do. Because He said it. You can bank on it and believe it. If you don't, you're in trouble. You may struggle with, well, is it really true? I don't know if it's really true or not. Just look deep in your heart. You'll know whether it's true or not. You'll know whether it's true or not. But it's imperative that we Develop a unity of belief centered around the Word of God. And as a church, a healthy church, is a church that's preaching the Word of God. Uh, I always encourage people, if you're traveling or wherever, find a church that's preaching the Word of God. If you move to a new location, find a church that's preaching the Word of God, teaching the Word of God. If they're not doing that, and that's what they use as their basis of faith, Man, I wouldn't hang around them. Get away from them. Be the smartest thing you could ever do. Read an article this week about a Presbyterian minister at a conference, a peace conference, uh, talking about Christian proselytizing. I get that word out. And was comparing that. Christian proselytizing to ethnic cleansing. And I thought, how absurd is that? But listen to what the person said. Imagine that you're in a church that light is streaming through a number of stained glass windows. The light is truth, the windows are religion, and the church is the world. 
the window is not the light. Religions need to be distinguished from the light of God that shines through them. Goes on to, to, to describe the distinction between evangelizing the good news of the gospel and proselytizing to make converts. And this Presbyterian minister said, uh, non-Christians view proselytizing efforts as a form of religious, ethnic cleansing. God's ability to work in our lives is not determined by becoming a Christian. Oh, really? Then why would God work in our life? He doesn't care about us if we're not Him. If we're not in Him, He doesn't have time for us. He's always wanting us, but God's not going to go out of His way to just, if we're not going to respond to Him. At some point, you move on. God will move on. But the good news is, He's always looking back, right? He's always waiting, because you just might step toward Him. And if you step toward Him, He will turn and come to you. That's the God I know. That's the God you know. There's a real place called heaven and a real place called hell. And you get to decide which one you're going to spend an eternity in. The second characteristic that I want to mention to you is diversity. In verses 7 through 11, when Jesus went back to heaven, He didn't leave us empty-handed. He ascended to the Lord. He poured out His, His gift of His victorious uh, spirit upon us so that we would have help on our day-to-day living. But we need to learn to appreciate some things. Number one, we need to appreciate a giving Savior. Let's pick it up at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace is given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high, He led captive a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Each one of us has received enabling grace to the proportion that Christ would give it. Paul cites Psalm 68.18 in this passage when he talks about the ascension of Christ as evidence that God has come and rescued His people, receiving gifts, the spoils of His victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. Jesus now gives back to His people spiritually gifted men and women that they might minister to people, to the church. Christ is the ascended Lord. He has led captive the powers of evil that attacked and conquered and enslaved us. The one who came all the way down has gone all the way up. And so He is far above, fills all, gives gifts to all, And we can shout, Hallelujah! What a Savior! We need to also acknowledge gifted saints. Look at verse 11. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Spiritual gifts 
We all have them. Now, Sheila and I have argued back and forth over the years about, I don't have a spiritual gift, she would tell me. I don't know what mine is. Well, I think she's got several. Uh, and we've talked about that. But spiritual gifts are ours. God places them in our hearts and in our lives so that we can then be used of Him to do His work. Verse 7 affirms that everyone has at least one spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are not natural talents. Natural talents are abilities that you get from birth. Spiritual gifts are what you receive at spiritual birth. Often, natural talents and spiritual gifts aren't the same. Some people may sing. It can become a spiritual gift. They're given that that voice. Some can't carry a tune in a bucket. (laughs) But they still love to sing. But see, singers are worthless without people who will listen. It doesn't matter how great a singer you are if you can't listen. What a great story of of recent. Maybe you've seen the story where the gal was homeless. And she was singing in the subway. I can't remember exactly what town she was in. But beautiful voice. She just, somebody heard that and, and uh, she's just signed a recording um, a, uh, contract with a uh, person out in, I think it was California, in, in L.A. Uh, so, yeah, homeless and now using the gift that God gave her, she's going to be able to make a living. It's awesome. Verse 11 says, give attention to the four, uh, to four that are essential for the health of the church. To the four people that are essential to the health of the church. And we need to make sure that we're listening to the teachers that are put in front of us so that we can grow. Apostles and prophets, foundational. An apostle is, is a technical, in a technical sense, refers to the twelve. In a general sense, it's anyone who's sent by God to do the work of ministry. It fits missionaries. fits preachers. Prophets boldly proclaim the revelation of God. Then he lists evangelists. Some have described them as spiritual obstetricians, gifted in bringing forth new births. Some people are gifted evangelists. It doesn't matter where they are, who they're with, they're able to share the message of Christ. Those are key people. I think of Billy Graham, Louis Palau, people like that. They can preach to large crowds and have an impact. I don't know if there'll ever be another Billy Graham come along. Billy Graham was 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 amazing. If you ever heard him speak, you know, other than TV, but in person. It just there's just a, a something about him. He was in a walk with God that a few men ever attained. Then he lists pastors and teachers, and the best translation is to take the word "and" out of it. It's pastor teacher. Uh, some have described them as spiritual pediatricians. 
who lead and they feed, they provide, and they protect. They minister to us, with us, but not for us. They lead us. Thirdly, a healthy church is characterized by ministry. Let's pick it up in, in verses 12 through 14. Every member is a minister. It's worthy. That's a worthy motto to be shared in a church. Look at verse 12. For the equipping, here's the result of those four Groups leading and teaching. This is for by for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. The church is not a bus where the pastor does all the driving. The church is a body and everyone has a function to perform. Somebody has to fix communion every Sunday. How does it just show up on the table? As we've seen today. Some, some have had to jump in to do the sound system and the, the slides for us. And I appreciate Gary and Sherry jumping up to do that for us. Be sure and let them know how much you appreciate that today. But the equipping has to go on. Preachers can't equip people who don't want to be equipped. Teachers can't teach people that don't want to be taught. Amen? We've got to be teachable people. And the whole point of this is for the work of ministry. Taking those spiritual gifts that God's poured into you and then turning around and sharing them and pouring them into other people's lives. We need to be edified. Verse 12 talks about being edified. Edified means to bring... To, to build up, to mature, to develop. And we need to be about that business of developing people. In verse 13 it says we need to be educated until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Be teachable. The greatest thing you could ever do for yourself is to be teachable. Never stop learning. Never stop, Never believe you've attained it all and gotten there. You ever met anybody who knows the Bible front and back and they, they don't need to read it anymore? They've told you that? Well, I, I've been through it. You can't go through it enough. Every time you go through it, you're going to grab something new if you're teachable. If you're not teachable, then you can't. Teachers run into this all the time. Coaches run into this all the time. They were coached wrong early on, so to undo those bad habits, to teach them the good habits, boy, sometimes you, sometimes you make it, sometimes you don't. And the way parents are today, they're more critical than they've ever been of coaching, of officiating, of, of every facet of it. And it seems like the younger the kids, the more outspoken the parents are. It's just a game, folks. (laughs) It's just a game. It's in life and death. It's just a game. But be educated. Be willing to to learn. Always be open 
to receive. George Barna did a survey, Barna Research Group, and revealed that 75% of Americans, including more than 40% of born-again Christians, agreed with the unbiblical statement, the Bible teaches that God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. He exposed Americans' beliefs when he said this, that God is merely our assistant not our foundation. More than 40% of born-again Christians also said that the Holy Spirit and Satan don't exist. A survey of born-again Christians revealed that 45% believe that Jesus committed sin. We need to educate people. That's what's wrong with our culture today is that we've got too many people not educated. And they're in Washington, D.C. And they're making, the, they're making the laws. And they're dumber than a box of rocks. C.S. Lewis said, God is no founder of intellectual slackers than any other slackers. <laughs> also in verse four, uh, 13, it says that we should be enlarged. It says, till we come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You should never stop growing. Especially in your walk with God. In your understanding of God. In your depth with God. God didn't save us to simply take us to heaven. He saved us to make us like Jesus. And we need to make sure that we're enlarging ourselves by... in. Encompassing other people. Then he tells us to be established in verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Children, he describes spiritually. Immature. Babies. Children. That's what children are. Immature, never settled, fickle, shifting, not dependable. No roots, no conviction, no commitments. That's where we are in church today. Nobody wants to make a commitment. Nobody wants to to, to put their roots down. Nobody wants to be a whatever. They just want to come, they want to go. Consumerism. I want to come, I want to be hidden. I want to come, I want to go, I want to sit on the back row and want anybody to talk to me. You know, our hug and howdy, if you, if you talk to a church growth expert, he'll tell you the hug and howdy is the worst thing you could ever do in the church. Because it makes people feel uncomfortable. And yet, you guys would be upset at me if I don't let you do hug and howdy. Right? I've heard, I've heard many times from you. From one in particular. She tells me all the time, don't you take my hug and howdy away. Okay. But children want it their way. We need to be established. We need to know the Word. We need to obey the Word. And what will the result be? Lastly, it's characterized by maturity. 
pick it up at verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. If we are doing what God's called us to do, it's going to be evident. In verse 15, he says, be mature, be mature in your speech. We continually speak with and in agape love. We are to grow up in Christ, who's the head, our Lord, our Christ, our Savior. Speak the truth, but do it in love. Do it in love. It just comes across better. If we just... If we can just, if we can say please or thank you, it's just received better. We need to be mature in our service. Every part doing its share. God makes some of us a hundred thousand gallon vessels and others are half pint vessels. He's far more pleased with a half pint running over than a thousand-gallon vessel, only half full. Where are you at? We also should be mature in sensitivity. Verse 16. Begins with love. Ends with love. When we all do our part, the body grows and the body's built up in love. The greatest thing for me to watch from up in the front is for you... To watch you, Jordan, hug and howdy. As you love each other. As you hug on each other. As you encourage each other. That's what the church is about. What does it look like on the outside? Well, let me give you a few examples. Language therapist Lucy Smith and her faith-based literacy program for Texas prisoners. She spends eight hours a day. In Dallas and Fort Worth jails, a 61-year-old grandmother of seven oversees 44 tutors who teach roughly 60 inmates a week. She said this, If a person can't read the Word of God for himself, he cannot ascertain truth for his life. Her efforts have caught the attention of the state prison officials who are now encouraging the development of these faith-based programs across the state of Texas. A 93-year-old Carl Mix who after a life of ministry to shut-ins in hospitals and sanitariums and prisons, now volunteers his services as a geriatric psychiatric center in Canton, Ohio, where he visits patients once a week and leads Sunday's morning services. Lieutenant Jeff Francis, who as the founder of the Chattanooga, Tennessee Police Department's first gang division, spends his days working with troubled youth. He goes home and works with troubled adults. For the past 16 years, he and his wife, Gail, have cared for mentally handicapped adults as house parents for the Orange Grove Center. They also homeschool their four children and interpret for the deaf at their local church. That's what it looks like. But this letter written by Columbine uh, martyr uh, Cassie Bernal to a friend of hers, I mean, that just sums it up about where we are and should be in Christ. She says this, 
I am just so thankful for everything He's done for me, as well as for others. Even when things are bad, He stood next to me, and things are a little less prone to becoming blown out of proportion by my emotions. You know, I wonder what God is going to do with my life, like my purpose. Some people become missionaries and things, but what about me? What does God have in store for me? Where do my talents and gifts lie? For now, I'll just take it day by day. I'm confident that I'll know someday. Maybe I'll look back at my life and think, oh, so that was it. Isn't it amazing, this plan that we're a part of? Cassie Bernal was killed in the Columbine High School shooting. She was the one that Dylan Cleborn looked down and said, Do you believe in Jesus? And she said, I sure do. Boom, shot her right there. Now, how did she get that faith? A month before that, if you know her story, she wasn't a believer. (coughs) She had a little bit of belief, but really wasn't part of her life. She went to a retreat with her church youth group. Got reconnected to God. And a short time later, she's with the Lord. You never know, do you? You gotta always be ready. But you gotta have it in, you gotta have a plan in place. And you gotta have a relationship intact. God's will is that we be a healthy church. And to be a healthy church, we must be healthy Christians. To be a healthy Christian, we must know Christ. Genuinely, really, truly know Christ. Then and only then can you play the part that He has for you, just as He has for me, and this great plan that He has for all of us to be in the church together. So I don't know where you are today. I hope that you're, in, you're a healthy person, you're a healthy Christian in a healthy church. And I'm praying for you. I pray for you every, every week that God grows in you, God lives in you, and God enlightens you. But if you're here today and maybe you need a touch from God in a special way, would you respond to that as we share our invitation song this morning, Just As I Am? Let's pray and then we'll stand this thing. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for these people. And I thank you for this church. And I pray that we continue to display a healthy uh, church because of it's full of healthy Christians. We're not perfect. We're all striving to be what you've called us to be. But God, in you, we have hope. And so I thank you for that. But if there's one here today, Lord, that needs to make a deeper commitment in some way, I want to encourage them to do that as you encourage them in your spirit to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand